0: On today's player pool, we discuss a crucial aspect of playing DFS all season long. Bankroll management. The do's, the don'ts, and how to set yourself up for success for the whole year. And then we're going to take a look at the Cowboys and Chargers. Both teams got new offensive coordinators. Both teams are loaded with DFS options. We're going to take a look at how these two offensive coordinators, based off their history, may give us a little indicator of what to expect heading into the season. The summer's starting to wind down, but the pool's wide open. Let's jump right in. It's the Player Pool Podcast with your host, Austin Raboyne Welcome back. Welcome back to the Player Pool Podcast. Make sure if you haven't already that you are following us on Spotify or subscribed on Apple Podcasts. This Friday, we're going to put out graphics with definitions of each position and all the symbols we use identifying them in our player pool. We're going to get stuff out there for you visual learners. So bear with me. The tech learning curve is a little high for me, but uh, we're going to figure it out this week. And uh, yeah, I'm giving myself homework. We'll try to push some stuff out on the pod socials uh, follow us there, Player Pool Pod on Instagram and Twitter. You can also find our page on Facebook. We'll put out some things out there, just some good reference sheets, so you guys, when you are evaluating players, uh, once they've made your player pool, you know you have something to, to reference and and check down the box on. So we want you to have those tools. We're not trying to hide anything behind a curtain here. Um, trying to come up with some NFL news to discuss the lead off the show. I feel like those. Those swamp people or those rednecks in those uh, reality shows when they're going noodling. Have you heard of noodling? Where the, they find where the catfish in these lakes are burrowed in the mud and they'll stick their arm down deep. And they'll hopefully catch something and, and pull it up. I actually never see on video when these guys do it where they actually put the fish in the boat. They're just kind of like, haha, it's got my arm. And then it just kind of goes, ends from there. But uh haha, what I have today to talk about is uh, the Trey Lance, kind of a continuation of... Uh, My, you know, my prior uh, conversation we had about him, about it wasn't his fault that the 49ers selected a project, let me repeat, project quarterback in a win now situation. It's just dumb. Uh, Trey Lance played one year of college football. Then he had the COVID year that pretty much erased any other film that could have been. And next thing you know, whoopsie daisy, he's the top five pick by the 49ers. He gave up three. First-round picks for him. This is probably the most catastrophic draft day trade and quarterback selection to never hurt a fly in the NFL. Things must be changing because before, when a franchise would pick a top-five quarterback in the draft and he busted see the St. Louis Rams for the better half of the start of this millennia, it ruined the franchise for four to five to six years. And I think now the difference is they inserted that rookie pay scale. So every, every rookie's like salary is locked in. So before where I think Sam, Sam Bradford got, it was somewhere around 65 mil guaranteed and on the books for the, on the cap for the, uh, the St. Louis Rams back in the day. Now I think these salaries are more capped in the 25, 30 range and, they're also built in for these rookie deals. They don't just extend forever. So maybe that's why these franchises can survive. But look at this breakup. It's, it's, it's really the only breaking news or relevant news that uh, we're going to have to talk about for the next few days. But no harm, no foul on either side. I wish some of my breakups could have been like this. I mean, look at it. The 49ers, their Super Bowl odds didn't budge when the news broke that they had traded Trey Lance to the Cowboys. Trey Lance took his $35 million guaranteed and goes to the situation he should have been drafted to in the first place. I'm so happy for Trey Lance. He gets to take a breather. He gets to be out of the spotlight for half a minute, and it may only be half a minute. We'll get to the Cowboys later. But he can relax. He can get some work in, and we can actually find out in the next year or two is there actually a quarterback in Trey Lance. And if there's not, don't feel bad for him. He's made more money than you and me and all of us combined uh, in just the last few years. So either way that, that cookie crumbles, it's good for Trey Lance. Good move by the Cowboys too. Quarterback is not an always thing. Quarterback can change. Dak can easily go get her to get down. Maybe with Trey Lance in the lab, you give him a year or two, he comes out and he's he's your next guy. Trey Lance had so few snaps, football snaps, under his belt in his football playing career, and I'm talking from high school till today, that he is still an unknown. He should have been drafted in the fourth round as a project. The Cowboys made a good move, picked up something for the future. Back to the player pool, though. We are talking today about bankroll management. This is so important, playing DFS, because the excitement of it or the gambler's mentality of I'm down, i got to win it back, can kill you in this way of playing fantasy football, just like a slot machine can, just like anything. I mean, let it be no mistake here, everybody. This is still construed as a vice. And if you do not watch yourself, if you are not disciplined, you can get burned, you can made to be feeling like an idiot, and you can draw the ire of your significant other in your life. So let's have the conversation now before the season gets going and before we have our learning curves, let's have the conversation now to maybe take some of the pain out of the process when it comes to money and playing DFS. Take it from me, everybody. I've been playing nine years. I can easily tell you that at least four of those years was played with less than $50 in my my accounts and a lot of pain in overspending or losing money when I shouldn't have or not maximizing my money when I did play things correctly. Please do not go through that pain that I had to go through in that learning curve. Steal it from me. I'm I'm trying to give it to you. So bankroll management. First first thing, what is a what's a bankroll? That is the amount of money that you are playing with, you know, in in daily fantasy. It's pretty simple. It's what's in your account. So There's a few kind of boundaries or parameters, I guess, I've set up when it comes to money in in daily fantasy sports. First thing that I do is I try to give myself a certain amount of lives, okay? So, this guy plays DFS all the time. He has no life. Yeah, I know. But but for real, I, I think of it as giving myself lives. How much money a week are you going to spend? That's the first question you need to ask. So in this player pool process, I say we make anywhere from three to nine lineups. But if you're just starting out and you don't know what kind of number to pick here, I would say give yourself five lineups. Say every week I'm playing five lineups. You got to play a minimum of a dollar per lineup. That's also the beauty of this player pool thing. You can start this thing out for as little as $5 a week. And in fact, I'm going to tell you, if you're brand new to this, give yourself 10 lives. That is 10 weeks of the NFL season that you are free and clear to play and work this player pool process out. That's 50 bucks. That's less than a fantasy season long league. And you can probably make more money in a short amount of time playing DFS if you catch on quick. And that's another thing I love about DFS is that in season long leagues, your first round pick or, you know, somebody crucial in your season long team that you're, bonded, you're connected to, you're married to that team for the entire NFL season. That's going to be your source of fantasy enjoyment. I mean, your best players could go down an injury, and you're done for the whole year in September and October. Daily fantasy is sweet. You get to run it back every single week and be in it every single week. But to stay in it every single week and be able to come to that DFS table every single week, you have to follow these bankroll rules. So, again, first rule. Determine how many lives you want to give yourself and calculate how much money that's going to take. So, if you want to play $5 a lineup, knowing that it's going to get you possibly 25x return, then you need to have $25 a week for the next 10 weeks in your account to start the season. And let me tell you something. It does not matter how much money you start out with or how much you're playing, whether it's a little or a lot. I started back when I was in college and didn't have an adult job. I started with like fifty bucks to start an NFL season. I remember the first time I started with two hundred and fifty bucks. That felt like way too much. Wait, you know, way a lot. So start with what's comfortable. Cause if you're not comfortable, you're going to make bad choices. You're not going to enjoy the ride in the process. And you're probably going to get so frustrated that you won't be disciplined enough to turn, turn back and learn as you're going. So whatever you're comfortable with, I would say again, if if you're brand new to DFS, start with the minimal, you know, start with, you know, you're going to play $2 a lineup for the first 10 weeks, but answer that question for yourself, put in that principle. So, Put all of that into FanDuel or or to DraftKings account, which leads me to my second point. Put your principal in in its entirety to begin the season. And I know what you're thinking. Well, I don't have a lot right now, so I'll put it in half now, maybe half in October or November. I would really caution against that line of thinking because that can quickly snowball into, I'm always just going to dump more money into FanDuel and keep trying this out. If you do that. You run the risk of bleeding yourself a lot of money. Your significant other may be seeing a lot of outgoing money going into a gambling, you know, daily fantasy website. Just don't do that to yourself. If what the amount of money you have today or right before kickoff or, or the weekend uh, before kickoff, if that's the amount of money you can put in at that time, then then work with that. And Because this, is, this will be a year-to-year thing for you if it catches on with you. So don't worry about taking the Millie maker down this year. Don't worry about making tens of thousands, five figures, you know, this year, if you put the time in to learn, then you can start thinking more about size of money and realizing, you know, those five, five figure hits and stuff in FanDuel. But, uh, you know, first things first, I guess. And I'm not trying to be anybody's mom or dad or saying, be careful with your money. And this isn't a disclaimer for myself either. Like I said, I'm going to do my best to make sure that it's you guys creating your own lineups. I'm going to do my best, especially after week one and and keeping my lineups pretty close to the chest. so uh, I'm not trying to cover my tail here either. I just know to go the distance, everything's got to be healthy, and bankroll management, how you work with the money is so important. Now, I know one question that will be out there is, okay, but what if I win a lot more money? then can I keep expanding as I go? What I would say is. Say, yes, you start with a bankroll and then you doubled it or tripled it, quadrupled it pretty quick, either off of a great week or over, you know, eight weeks. Two things I would say to look out for. One, for example, one thing I do, the first the, uh, withdrawal I make every season is a withdrawal to pay back the principal that I put in for the DFS season. So That is the very first thing that, that comes out. The last couple of years I've started with a principal of $5,000. So once I've won 5,000 gain, it's gaining 5,000. So the, the account reads $10,000. I'm paying that five back to the principal so that the first person protected is, you know, my family and in my resources that funded this venture. I'm very appreciative of a loving, supporting wife who encourages this and sees it for what it is with me. Um, you know, I'm very blessed in that way. And, and honestly, I probably wouldn't even be the, the DFS player I am today without her. So I would say pay it back so that the people behind you, the people that support you and lift you up, they don't feel or they're not in the risk with you as well because that can stress you out too. If it's somebody else's skin in the game with you, it's going to affect your decision-making. You're not going to be comfortable. You're going to be rushed. The frustration going to prevent you from looking at it again when you fail. There's a lot of failure in DFS, and we'll cover that in a later episode. But dealing with the failure of DFS and, and seeing that even when you take the right shots, they miss, that's a huge part of it. But when you're inserting money worries into, this, into the process, you're just, you won't make it. I mean, you're just not going to make it. Lastly, though, if you do increase your bankroll, say you paid back your principal, and now you're still going up, and you want to start betting more. What I would say is you got to pretty much start from the beginning name or tell yourself how many lives you want to have like, like you're resetting. So even if you're a new player, I would still encourage you to stick at 10 lives and, and go from there. Uh, But those 10 lives now can be heavier money entries, right? So now instead of $2, every lineup is $5. And you know, that's a way that you can increase. Now, let me tell you a story of how that backfired for me last year. So one thing I've always wanted to do, and eventually I hope it'll happen if life allows, but I would love to start the year with thirty-five dollars to $40,000 in principal. That would allow me to play the absolute high roller contests that still have limited entries but have significantly higher price structures, like $50,000, $100,000 and up. And last year I popped my bankroll pretty good by November, and I had about 30,000 in the account. And I did the math, and I realized I would give myself five lives at the high roller table to make it. And quickly, I realized that was a stupid decision. I didn't have enough lives to stay at that table long enough, and I had a significant amount of money that I had earned and been successful at that I should have enjoyed. But instead of doing a year to year growth thing, even I just caved and I wanted to be at the high roller table, even though maybe if I would have just played my game, I would have been almost there to carry that principle that I've always wanted into next year. So we are dealing with money, excitement, greed, all that stuff's going to be filtering in. So the bankroll management, you have to build a concrete box of what you're ready to do with your money. That's all I can say. If you start getting, if you start really pushing the bets, and you all know that feeling if you've ever, you know, been at a slot machine or you've been at a casino or anything else. I mean, mobile betting is pretty much, you know, nationwide at this point. So a lot of you guys have sat at night and just put, you know, over or under bets like that. It gets it can ruin you. So be careful. You'll get where you want to go if you stay in bounds. Uh, and I think just bankroll management has been huge, key to my success as a DFS player. If you have any questions about bankroll management, please, please email the Podcast at gmail.com. If it's a really good question I think the rest of the listeners need to hear, I'll put it out there. But uh, make sure you're emailing questions, the playerpoolpodcast at gmail.com. Two weeks out, a little under two weeks out from opening day, and there are a lot of new faces and a lot of new places, and most of the focus will always go to players, obviously. That's relatable. People know what you're talking about. But one thing that people usually miss is the people behind the scenes calling all the shots, the coaches, the offensive coordinators, that change up teams. So the enemy, uh, Eric Bienemy is with the uh, Washington, whatever's right now, the commanders, I guess we'll, we'll call them this year. And it looks to me like maybe he'll make them useful, but the funnier story off the side right now is him and Ron Rivera already having a power struggle because I think Ron Rivera sees the writing on the wall that if this offense comes out and hums a little bit, uh, he might be looking at his successor over there running the offense. So I'm not here to really see why Eric Bieniemy could turn you know mud into cake over there uh, in Washington. But there were two offensive coordinator changes in the league that I think warrant a lot of attention because the two teams that had these changes have a lot of DFS players that will always be coming you know, into your player pool and possibly uh, be listed as one of your f- preferred players. So I thought it would be worth it to take a look at these two teams. I'm, I'm talking about the Cowboys and the Chargers. Uh, so they both have different offensive coordinators to start the year. Interestingly enough, the Cowboys got rid of Kellen Moore and the Chargers picked him up. And then the Cowboys, in typical Mike McCarthy fashion, picked up a retread candidate and Brian Schottenheimer trying to make sure that offense continually goes back in time instead of forward and progressive. And I can take shots at McCarthy all day, and this will definitely be the episode for me to do it for sure. But it is important to know that this year you may see Dak Prescott, Tony Pollage, CeeDee Lamb. You may see them moving and doing things completely different, like it's a completely different script than it was last year. And that's because it is. Offenses are being installed in these two franchises with a lot of stars on them. So let's take a look at what maybe we could expect judging off the history of these two offensive coordinators and looking at similar comparisons on their current teams to see what kind of opportunity or volume we may be looking at with these players. So I want to start with the Cowboys and Brian Schottenheimer. So uh, Schottenheimer's been in the league. Uh, He's from a football family, but he's been in the league a long time. His last gig was in 2020 with the Seattle Seahawks, and we'll get to that in a second. He's known, and I obviously had to research this, but he's known as an Air Coriel coach. I don't know. Maybe that's a fancy West Coast offense name. I'm not sure. But basically, his offenses are known for using zone read, interior zone read options to open up the play action pass. So that's a lot different than last year's Kellen Moore's offense. Kellen Moore would have thrown it 50 50 times a game if Mike McCarthy would have let him, Kellen Moore is all about hitches and dig routes and just opening it up, getting it out in space, and letting the athlete do the work. So let's take a look at the four Cowboys players that I can see making the player pull on a weekly basis. That would be Dak Prescott, quarterback, Tony Pollard at running back, and then two receivers, CeeDee Lamb, and the journeyman 1,000 yard receiver, Brandon Cooks. He's kind of like the Where's Waldo of the NFL. He's in Dallas this year. So first off, looking at Dak, it's easy to say that his pass attempts per game and overall in the season are going to be way down this year under the Schottenheimer offense. That's going to be focusing on interior zone runs and long bootleg play-action passes. That may not be a bad thing for Dak. I see a more traditional offense, although watching it on TV is brutal, but a traditional offense may be in Dak's favor In terms of his mistakes. So it may make more football sense. For Dak Prescott to have. Easier reads. Longer time to make his reads. And either throw it here or throw it away options. It'll be safer in terms of. Less interceptions. Less turnover. But at the same time. It's going to be a lot less explosive. For Dak Prescott this year. He's not going to be in the high octane. Kellen Moore offense. He's not going to be asked to throw 50 times a game. And. To make things even scarier, Mike McCarthy, as of today, is still going to be the one who will call the plays. Best way to picture the Cowboys passing offense going into this year is you need to really turn back the clock and picture what NFL offenses looked like in 2008. That's what you're going to see out of Dallas this year. It's not going to be sexy. It's going to be very run-dependent. And I think Dak Prescott and C.D. Lamb are going to have significant regression this year as a result. Let's move on to C.D. Lamb while we're on the topic. C.D. Lamb last year, borderline slate breaker, an absolute stud. He was fifth in the league in targets with 156 last year. I would look for those target numbers to drop by about 20, possibly even 40 targets this year. One thing I did to see what we could expect from, shot, from a Schottenheimer offense is I went and looked at his last gig, 2020, with the Seattle Seahawks. That 2020 Seattle Seahawks team had some decent players on it. You may have heard of them, but Russell Wilson was on that team. Scary that at the time, as a player of his caliber, caliber MVP, Super Bowl-winning quarterback, hated the Schottenheimer offense as a, as a quarterback who wanted to throw more. Take that for what it's worth. At the same time, that team had a rookie, DK Metcalf, who was no secret. I mean, he was built like Adonis. His muscle picks were already all over the place. Everyone knew he could run. And I think at that time they were saying, but could can he cut? Is he agile? Because you can't be big and fast and nimble. Well, we know now that that, that uh that's not true, because DK Metcalf was all of the above. So that's the L team, though. I mean, the passing game they had Russ Wilson throwing. And then Lockett in his prime, some would say he still is on one of those, and DK Metcalf. Now, doing player comparisons and situation comparisons isn't Bible, isn't exact science, but it can at least be a slight indicator of the overall season's volume and what we could expect from these players. So that Seattle team under Schottenheimer offense had Lockett and DK Metcalf to throw to. And it was not a lopsided affair. I mean, Lockett on that season had 132 targets. DK Metcalf, 129. I think that that can be relied on a little bit to translate to how the Cowboys are going to spread it around between CeeDee Lamb and Brandon Cooks. I could see Cooks only being 15, 20 targets away from CD by the time the year's over, you know, barring injury, assuming they've played the same amount of games. So I think... Brandon cooks is probably a little bit more valuable than people are realizing right now. And I think people are going to be disappointed that a young CD lamb, who is an obvious star is actually going to either maintain his current levels or even drop a little bit this season. So they're still both considerable in the league, but I just think they're just a little less hot now, because again, we have this old antiquated offense coming in and it's going to be 2008 in Dallas all over again. Keep in mind, in Dallas, they do not have a pass-catching tight end either. This could be a narrow fantasy team this year, which I like. I like predictable outcomes on football teams of where the opportunity is going. So I could see, unless Peyton Hendershot or Jake Ferguson at tight end really step up and show that they are a threat, I could see the, the Dallas Cowboys this year, although a little boring on offense, being pretty obvious you know pretty much going to cd and and cooks with throw you know screen passes and and throws to to pollard so that would be nice although i think every touch is going to be way less efficient this year in dallas speaking of efficient how's tony pollard going to fit into the scheme sounds like he schottenheimer is more into zone running and, and that's a good thing although i will say when people look at Austin Eckler over at the Chargers, they say, oh, he's too small. He's not going to be a traditional run, running back. He's more of the the scat back. He catches a lot of passes and makes moves there. Well, Austin Eckler, he's 5'10", 210 pounds. Tony Pollard, six two hundred and nine pounds, uh, listing on, on the depth chart today. So, same size of player. and Now we're supposed to believe Tony Pollard's going to be this interior runner? I don't know. I don't know. I think if that's the case for Tony Pollard, then we can lower our expectations of him being this explosive running back this year. I don't see this offense, especially led again by Mike McCarthy, putting players in a position to be successful based on who they are. This type of offense, like we saw in Seattle in 2020, delegates the plays and the success to the players, not the other way around. I think in today's NFL, that's really backwards thinking. But again, that follows a Mike McCarthy coach team. So to summarize how I see the Cowboys potentially being in this new system this year, I see Dak Prescott as being a more safe quarterback with the ball, maybe less turnovers, but way less explosive, way less of a ceiling this year. He's probably going to be a quarterback that struggles. He probably gets 17 to 20 points a week, and occasionally you're going to want to play him to get into that 20-plus range. But I see that being a tricky win or lose situation and losing more times than not Tony Pollard for all the excitement that's there that now that Zeke isn't there, the narrative last year was, you know, Zeke's presence was holding Pollard back. They should let Pollard play more looking at their touches last year, Zeke and Pollard. Yes. Zeke had 231 rush attempts to Pollard's 193, but Pollard ended up getting 55 targets to Zeke's 23 targets. So in, Actuality, Zeke had two hundred and fifty-four opportunities last year. Yes, but Pollard had two hundred and forty-eight. They were really more fifty and fifty than people wanted to admit. And then for the receivers, I can see CD Lamb and Cooks almost being more like a DK Lockett situation, where it's it's way more fifty-fifty, and you're maybe in that game every week of which one do you play, which one do you not play. Overall, I feel like the Cowboys this year are kind of a trap place for players to go to to pick their their options for their player pool because you're assuming that things have opened up. People are getting older. CeeDee Lamb's another year older in the league. He'll be better. He's going to build off of last year. People think Pollard is no longer being held back by Zeke, but guess who is still there coaching that team? I'll say it again. Mike McCarthy. What did he do? In a progressive league, he went back a decade and grabbed an offensive coordinator that runs things like it's still 2008. An offensive coordinator who was with the Rams and the Jets before the Seahawks and never broke a top 10 offense in the league. It's just backwards in Dallas. Now looking at the Chargers, there's a lot more to take away and predict with the Chargers, and there's way more promise with the Chargers' outlook this year. First off, I love Kellen Moore, the offensive coordinator that they got. It's, In my opinion in life, it's always worth taking someone who is new and has a sturdy floor but a very, very high ceiling. And that's what Kellen Moore is. I first heard of Kellen Moore, maybe some of you did, and I'll try to remind you, but Kellen Moore was a legend to me in college football. He was the quarterback that did the Boise State Statue of Liberty play to beat Arkansas and Adrian Peterson's Arkansas team. And I think it was the Fiesta bowl. I mean, one of the coolest college football games of all time and that ingenuity. And I mean, if you, if you can remember that game also had a amazing hook and ladder play at the end to, to get Boise back in the game. So I do believe all that ingenuity and some of that outside the boxness really rubbed off on Kellen Moore. He had a brief NFL career before he found himself as an offensive coordinator and His offenses have always been fun to watch. In 2021, the Dallas Cowboys, with Dak throwing it still, were sixth in the league in pass attempts. Maybe with Dak at the helm, that wasn't such a good idea and their success was mixed, but that's the mindset that Kellen Moore has. He's here to throw the pigskin. So, how is that going to affect a Chargers offense that I have been in love with for at least the last two years I play a lot of Charger stacks, a lot of Justin Herbert, especially when he runs. Please run again this year, Justin. Please protect yourself, but please just run for like 30 yards a game. Uh, So we have a lot of useful players. Herbert, already led or top three in the league in pass attempts in the last two years with him. But now we're basically mixing fire with gasoline with him and Kellen Moore. I foresee, with the amount of times that Kellen Moore throws, I can almost guarantee, if there is a prop bet out there, put money down on it, that Justin Herbert will lead the league, assuming he plays all the games, lead the league in pass attempts this year. The two Charger players I do see having the biggest change from last year are Austin Eckler and Keenan Allen. Leading in, we're still in the preseason, and if you've dipped your hand in the pool on Austin Eckler, you felt a pretty lukewarm temperature. All the talents right now are saying Austin Eckler is a bad choice in the first round of your season-long fantasy draft. Everyone's saying he's too old, he's getting old, he's small, and now that the offense is changing, he's not going to be a big target machine like he was last year. So let's look at what we could expect in terms of opportunity for Austin Eckler. So last year, yes, Austin Eckler – Rushed for less than a 1,000 yards, but led the league in running back targets with 127. But because he didn't break a 1,000 yards rushing last year, he gets dinged as a bad runner. He still had 204 rush attempts last year, which is more than Tony Pollard had. 204 rush attempts, and he averaged almost 4.5 yards a carry. So he's an efficient runner, and remember, he's a little heavier and almost the same size as Tony Pollard. Now, something to look back on last year, Pollard, who was kind of known as the target guy, or even if you wanted to mix Zeke up, but the pass down back in a Kellen Moore offense, taking a look at it you know, for, with Zeke and Pollard last year, they came out to about 78 targets, which is a huge, almost 50-target drop-off from Austin Eckler. So, yes, it can be safely said that you could expect maybe more, actually a decent drop-off in targets for Austin Eckler. Where are those targets going, though? So now let's look back at the Cowboys to see what we could expect in the Chargers. Remember how I said CeeDee Lamb was 5th in targets last year with 156? Well, what would you say if I told you half, 51%, of those targets were thrown at him when he was in the slot? Who on the Chargers is known for being a great slot receiver. That would be Keenan Allen. Now, again, if you are plugged in deep like I am on Twitter with all the beat writers, this year the hype out of the Chargers has been that 30-plus-year-old Keenan Allen is taking off in this new offense. He's going to be the main guy. He's the X receiver. He's out wide. There's just a lot of chatter about Keenan Allen. I don't believe any of that. I don't think they're actually putting him out wide. I don't think all of a sudden, uh, you know, at, at this point in his career, Keenan Allen is becoming the burner, but I do know that what people are seeing is the combination of what happens when you put Kellen Moore together with a player of Keenan Allen's ability. And I think in practice right now, what's going on is Keenan Allen is still living in the slot, starting in the slot receiver spot, but he is burning dudes. So For every target, I think not going Austin Eckler's way because of a good, healthy change in the offense. I do expect Keenan Allen to absolutely rip people apart early in the year. Now, who knows how that body you know maintains throughout the year? But again, back to one of the most beautiful things in in DFS. You don't need to worry about injuries so much. You only need to watch it week to week, and if it's confirmed at kickoff, he is hot and ready to go with no limitations. Make your bet. That's all you have to think about it. So I do think Keenan Allen is in for a monster year. But for every target that may be not be going Austin Eckler's way, I think in an offense and a great match between offensive players and an offensive coordinator, if the offense is overall more healthy, then Austin Eckler's proven efficiency on the ground while still getting a healthy dose. I mean, still expect him to be top five in running back targets. He's also in line for a, a huge year. So, not a lot's changed with this Charger 3. Herbert, Allen, and Eckler, I think, are getting boost, boost, and better efficiency in this season just by looking off what Kellen Moore's offense tries to do. Now, what about the rest of this Chargers lineup? Because they have a lot of names stacked here at the bottom Mike Williams, Quentin Johnson, uh, Everett at tight end. And then they have Josh Palmer, who's listed at tight end as of now. He he's more of an ex receiver, whatever. But a lot of a lot of other guys on there. Looking at the Cowboys last year, though, the second leader in targets for them was actually Dalton Schultz. So I don't know what that really tells you. I don't know if that tells you that the Cowboys were just injured at wide receiver. You know, with Michael Gallup being a step slower uh, coming back from a knee injury last year. I don't know if there's a lot more to read below those top three charger players of what you could expect. They're paying Mike Williams 20 mil a year. So, you know, he's involved, but to what extent, to what efficiency and how much opportunity that all largely probably remains unchanged. There's probably not a good tell at this point in the year, what you could expect from at least Mike Williams, Uh, this Quentin Johnson rookie. He's getting a lot of love in this dynasty league. I'm in, but all I'll say is be careful with a rookie in, a, in an offense that's already this established. There's a lot of mouths to feed, and I think especially in DFS, that's a huge wait-and-see with, with a rookie wide receiver that I haven't seen a whole lot on. Maybe some other people have. If you have listeners, I mean, by all means, shoot me a note. Uh, educate me, please. But to me, the Chargers are still just a, a four-person uh Play You know, team option for DFS, uh, Herbert, Eckler, Allen, and Williams. And, again, I love the marriage of the Chargers and Kellen Moore. So, I'm excited to see what that looks like. So, again, just to run back through these changes and what maybe we could tell about the future in terms of their usage and opportunity, none of the main players I mentioned should now not make your player pool. I mean, Dak Prescott, well, maybe Dak shouldn't make your player pool. But Pollard and CeeDee Lamb, they're still studs. All I'm saying is maybe cool your expectations. Don't let it hurt so bad if it comes out and they just that, you know, you're expecting a firework and all you get is a bottle rocket at the same time. All the fireworks have now gone to the LA chargers and I would be all in, all in, all in on the charger stacks throughout the year. And that's going to do it for today's podcast. Again, listeners, the bankroll discussion we had at the beginning of the episode is crucial, crucial to your year's success. So please listen, re listen, shoot me an email, tweet at me on Twitter. We're at the Player Pool Pod. Get clarification from me, but by all means, please listen and use that information. We have a big episode for Friday planned. We are going to talk about game stacks and then walk through the decision tree step by step. First step, second step, all the way to the end of what you need to ask yourself or answer while building a lineup once your player pool has already been created. So this may, this just may, mean that for the first time in this NFL season, I got to create a player pool. I'm getting excited, listeners. Again, make sure you're hitting that follow button on Spotify and hey. talked a lot about changes on the Cowboys and the Chargers, but one thing that's not going to change is me being here for you every Tuesday and Friday until you get this player pool process right. Fellas, it is a blast. So buy in with me. Let me know where I'm missing. I'm going to do my best to get this across to you, but let's keep working on it. Let's have a great season. I cannot wait for football to start. We'll see you Friday. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Player Pool Podcast. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at playerpoolpod.